Welcome to the Random Redux Review Podcast. Here's your hosts, Rudy Fishman. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode eight. As I mentioned in the previous episode, this is part three in a three-part sort of series with various musicians, first being Craig Wedren, Shudder to Think, two was a guy named Bill Stevenson, Black Flag and all, and now this guy. You may or may not have heard of him. He's a different type of musician. While he has written some of his own material, he's more of a hired gun. There is Stuff McKagan's Loaded, there's Harvey Danger, The Long Winters, Alien Crime Syndicate, and many others. He's been hired by people as, as you will hear, both Ugly Kid Joe and also Peter Hook and the like of New Order slash Joy Division fame. So he's pretty diverse. He's also a loving husband, works a full-time job, has two podcasts, and perhaps most importantly, is a personal friend of mine. But I've never actually met him in person. This conversation is actually the first real interaction I've ever had with him beyond sharing stupid memes and gifts and things like that. But anyway, look at you. You get to be here for this momentous occasion. I don't think this conversation will disappoint. We cover a lot of different things and perhaps get a lot more deeper and philosophical than I think either one of us sort of expected. I think it really speaks to kind of how important Mike has become to me, despite the fact that I am very much a thorn in his side in many ways. He still helped me with various finger exercises as I relearn to play guitar. Been a good support of a lot of my creative efforts. He's just a good guy. I think. But I also wanted to speak to him because I think, in many ways, his life could have been the life I didn't live had I been more disciplined and working on my musical abilities and pursuing my goals. Not to beat myself up over it, but just being realistic. Oh, crap. Producer Bobby Z, can you please get that? Hello, baby. What is it? Per usual, you are holding out on me. I just thought you could use some help. I, I told you, you don't need to come in this week. Anywho, who are we talking to? We'll be talking to Mike Squires. Oh, I see. The Caltrist guy. Yeah, the Caltrist guy. Although, we came to know him through the Golden Shower of Hits podcast, which we've kind of warmed ourselves into. Oh, yeah, I see, I see. That's the one with that guffy guy. He's got good taste. He's funny. I think you're talking about the other guy. No, 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 no. I know it's not that other Jamie guy, but anyway, uh, I know exactly who I'm talking about. Bobby Z, hang up on this guy. Okay, thank you. Now can we get back to the podcast? Okay. Crap. 
Hold on. Uh, what are you doing here? I'm trying to do a podcast. How dare you hang up on me! Go away. Right, now you have the dogs all riled up. You need me! Who else is gonna make these awesome sounds? I don't hear anything. These sounds! Squires. I would also say, don't forget the golden rule. Treat people the way you want to be treated. You know about this? The golden rule? Talk to people the way you want to be talked to. Treat people the way you want to be treated. And just imagine if everyone in the world was happy. If you were individually happy, you'd keep your nose out of other people's business. You'd be so stoked. The world would be a better place. Don't be a dick. Recording in progress. Well, lay it on me. Yeah. I talk about the golden rule a lot. You know, treat people the way you want to be treated. The easiest way to express the golden rule. To look at that on a bigger level, that, that includes communication. Like, treat, talk to people the way you want to be talked to. Don't assume anything. And don't make them assume anything. Golden rule, great, yeah. But how should, I mean, should you be talking to yourself the way you want to be talked to as well? Yes, absolutely. I mean, and I think it goes hand in hand. If you are treating yourself horribly, there's a much better chance that you're going to treat other people horribly. Or it's going to, you know, it's going to bleed over. That behavior is going to bleed over. You just be nice. Be nice to yourself. Forgive yourself. And forgive other people. Because forgiveness is never about other people. Forgiveness is about unburdening yourself with resentment. Keep your eyes on your own fucking paper. Focus on your own joy. You know, they say, put your own oxygen mask on if the plane is going down. Put your own mask on first and then help someone. That goes, that's like a... That's life. That's life. Take care of your shit. 
and don't worry about what other people are doing. Like, pursue if you're ha- if everyone was actually happy, imagine how great the world would be. If everyone was really focused on what brings them joy and light and happiness, rather than like you can't fucking marry the person you love and you can't fucking be in control of your body and you can't move here and whatever mind your own fucking business like work on making yourself happy because if everyone's happy the world is happy So some people say you should forgive, but not necessarily forget, depending on certain things, but like forgiveness, like releasing sort of the negative energy, but forgetting. I mean, I guess, is that really, I mean, what do you think of that, that concept of forgiving, but not forgetting? To me, it's a little bit of a, you know, you know, one foot out, the one foot in, one foot out. I think the past isn't real. It already happened and it's dead. It's not just a memory it's just it's not a real thing fucking time isn't real time isn't real it's not real it's not real so is that worth existing in no no it isn't our experiences and they inform our decisions right right some of us are in like loops where you just like keep making the same choices over and over and over again and you get the same result and they're frustrated and their result is a frustrating one Eventually, you can break those cycles, and things can be things can be fucking But forgiven for and but don't forget or whatever the fuck that was. I don't know. I don't know. I say forget it. Like if you really forgive, and, and but you have but you are not forgetting it, then have you really forgiven? I don't know. You still are burdening yourself with some of that past. Uh, I saw a thing yesterday that was so simple and so powerful to me I said uh, do no harm it was a yin yang sign and in one half of the little swirly swirl it said do no harm and then in the other one it said take no shit 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 and I'm down with that fully I am fucking down but are you down to clown? Always, 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 Oh my God. When I first got Mike to agree to be interviewed by me, I wanted to mess with him so badly because it's kind of my relationship with him is, you know, perhaps many other people is I'm basically a troll. But when push came to shove, I just didn't have the guts to do it. I mean, I just have too much respect for this guy, and so that's probably about as close as I got. We talked about a lot of stuff. You know, I think a lot of it was sort of shrouded in the fact that I do beat myself up. I haven't forgiven myself for decisions I've made in the past, or focusing on what great, amazing things could have happened, and not really thinking about like all the good things that happened because I didn't go down that route. Anyway, when I was talking to him, my head was in a really weird place, so another reason why I just couldn't fuck with him. Dare I say it, Mike might be one of those guys that's kind of unfuckwithable. Thank you for having me, Rudy. 
Right, you're welcome. That's an honor, uh, honestly. It is top ten. Yeah, I'm in the first ten episodes. Fuck you, number eleven. I'm sure it's sort of the perfect way to end your sort of dream summer of touring the world and hobnobbing with legends, and and now you have me. <laughs> Uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. So, um, basically the deal is with Mike, he is a guy, uh, who's basically been a professional musician, uh, since the nineties. He's been in a few bands you may have heard of, but he wasn't necessarily like the celebrity in it. And he's been around. He was just on tour with a guy named Peter Hook doing old new order and joy division songs, as well as ugly kid, Joe, uh, ugly kid, Joe and Peter Hook. Very different universes, which I think also says a lot about about Mike, is that he is very versatile and talented at what he does. He would not be taken around the world by all these different people. I guess one question that I, I, I have for you, and I don't want you to take this the wrong way. But... <laughs> That's my favorite way to start a question. Don't take this the wrong way, but how do you get through the door so fat? <laughs> For those of you, I mean, obviously, most of you can't see, but Mike's not exactly fat. He certainly, uh, at his advanced age, which is all of 30 days actually younger than me, um, he is uh, he's in much better shape than I am. So, and everybody knows that I'm a beacon of fitness. So, um, I guess the question that I hopefully I hope you don't take the wrong way is, you know, you are not internationally known. You work a job. Uh, I wouldn't say you're exactly, you haven't made it. You're not living the dream life that I think guys like us dream of. Like when you turn 21, like, oh, I'm going to be in a band. I'm going to hit it big. I'm going to do all this great stuff and make all this money. It's going to be awesome. You've done a lot of amazing stuff, but maybe the money hasn't really sticked to the sort of the reality of sort of like, why do you keep doing it even at, I'm legitimately interested in, into it because I know for me, had I been in your footsteps and I had been more talented and more diligent and working on my skills and things like that, I don't know how long I would have stuck with it. So No, no, no. I think it's a perfectly legit question. There have been many moments along the path that have, you know, have whispered in my ear. There have been many things that have whispered in my ear. Why are you still doing this? And sometimes I listen. You know, I have a full-time job. It's not like I'm living in a, in a house with four other 50-year-old musicians or, or even like 25-year-old musicians. That would be even creepier. But with every other ounce of energy I have, I still am being creative in whatever ways amuse me. And when opportunities come up for me to go on tour and play music for people, I I jump at it because there's nothing that makes me happier. And so why do I do it? Because, you know, do I have to? I don't know. I've gone through periods of time in my life where I haven't performed and been in a band. And they've been unhappy times. But can you live and be unhappy? Fuck yeah. Most people live unhappily. I continue to do it because it makes me really happy and because I as I get older I, I feel time speeding up even though time isn't real I don't even believe in it time is speeding up and I can see my mortality just right there maybe tomorrow maybe next week maybe 25 years 
definitely not more than 30 years. And that's less than half my life. And I think, shit, I've only been an adult that could make his own decisions for 20, 32 years. And so I'm super motivated by that. I want, I'm motivated by if I'm lucky enough to be conscious on my deathbed, if I'm regretting not doing some stupid thing that I thought would be fun or funny, that would be a tragedy. I mean, I don't know if you know this about me, but I spent probably about 20 years working, making bad TV documentaries. <laughs> it was it was not exactly a lucrative job, but it was fun. Like one of the things people would always say is that the bad TV documentarian sort, sort of life is a very rich one. It's not necessarily monetarily rich, but it's full of very awesome experiences. For instance, I've literally been around the world several times. I've met some really amazing people, uh, celebrities, politicians, killers. I've actually done jail interviews with people on death row. I mean, that's not everyday stuff. I got fired by Warren Herzog, or Werner Herzog, sorry. It's probably why I got fired. I couldn't remember his name. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, that's amazing. And that is the thing. It's I don't think anyone is laying in on on that bed at the end i don't think my mother was laying in bed toward the end she didn't really have her faculties but toward the end i'm sure her regrets didn't include i wish i would have kept the counters more spotless with all my time there is more to as to why we did things we do and how we wind up where we are than say just strictly money there's there's your soul that you have to feed and things like that. And it seems like at least your life has been more about feeding your soul than anything else. I mean, I don't know. How's your, how does your wife feel about you touring and not making like bazillions of dollars? My wife recognizes that it's something that makes me really happy, you know? And so she wants me to be happy. You know, I haven't toured in eight years. That's how I've been married for seven Okay, so I'm interrupting for two reasons. Number one, yeah, I know the whole idea of, you know, money's not everything, blah, blah, blah. It's kind of a little pithy and whatever, but never hurts to get reminded. Uh, number two, I actually didn't know this about Mike, the whole thing about him not having been on tour for a while. I think it leads itself into another part of the conversation, which is... You don't need to do all the things that are nagging at you all the time right now. You can you can pick your moments. Call a paradigm shift. A question I have is like, so you, you haven't been on tour in like eight years. Uh, you get the chance to do this and a lot of positive things are really happening for you. I mean, I guess in terms of putting a wind in your sail, because, uh, I mean, you're involved in a lot of things, not just the podcast. You're also doing the performance videos and, dare I say, put out one of the best albums of the year last year, the number two uh, record. Fuck, I think so. My only criticism is the songs are a little too long, so I don't know, maybe you should. <laughs> anyway, for those of you who don't know, I think probably the longest song on there is probably about 18 seconds, but, you know. I wanted to, I wanted to take a step back, just sort of like, the feeling of going on tour after sort of a hiatus. I mean, everything you've, all the creative stuff you've done is somehow music related and then getting the chance to literally go around the world um, and do some really cool things playing music. 
wondering what kind of how that is maybe a motivator to do other things or what kind of wind to put under your sails or anything uh, to that extent. Well, the funny, I mean, the funny thing is, uh, I knew that the Ugly Kid Joe stuff was going to, it was supposed to happen last year, but uh, COVID, am I right? I've heard of it. It's this thing, stopping bands. That's the big thing about it. That's what it's most well known for, stopping bands from touring. <laughs> it, sound, it sounds like COVID is a total fun cop. Totally. So that was a thing that I was expecting, and then... You know, it didn't happen, and then I was like, well, maybe it's not going to happen. And then all of a sudden it was happening. I was learning the songs, and I was putting together a pedal board. And so those things, those activities are things that I'm super very familiar with. I, You know, I've done those things every time I've gone on tour. So the time leading up to it was so familiar and so a part of who I am that it didn't feel weird. And then flying to tour and going to rehearse for a few days and then playing a show. Playing the first couple shows was kind of kind of weird, but I was so happy. And I'm just I'm at this place in my life now where if I hit a bunk note on stage, it doesn't ruin my show. I don't think about it and let it ruin my night. You know, I used to be it used to be a bad deal. That used to be a gnarly, gnarly thing for me and my experience touring and playing music. Um, but other than the, like, there are those things. The guys in Ugly Kid Joe, I love so much. They're the coolest guys. And every night before we went on stage, I would I would hug every single one of them, come and say, "I'm really happy to be here, and I love to play music." That's how. I, that's exactly how I felt. I felt like I was doing what I should be doing. I was home, and I was full of just happiness and gratitude. I kind of wonder for anyone listening to this and just hearing you talk about that. Like, I can definitely feel like an energy that kind of comes from you when you talk. Where you said. You're doing, doing what, what you're, you're supposed, supposed to be doing. doing. Like, like, I'm wondering like, if there's anybody else listening to this that can kind of pick up on that because I think that's a very powerful, powerful thing. Um, I do obviously have the question of going from Ugly Kid Joe to Peter Hook, which is completely polar opposite styles of music. <laughs> I do. I want to comment on the feeling of doing what you're doing. If you've, you know, we all do things where we have different thoughts going through our minds, negative thoughts or resistant thoughts, things that try and take you out of doing it. And if you're not having any of those thoughts, if you're not having to chase them out of your house, you know, of your the house of your mind, then you're probably doing what you're supposed to be doing. Whether that is, you know, a big picture, something you're supposed to be doing or a little picture, it doesn't matter. I guess I think about it like as as a, a young man, I was recognized as being a very good writer. Um, I won some awards and things like that in my younger days. And, you know, people always told me I should write a book since I was such a great writer. And I'd won these awards and things. Yeah, I just never done it. And And for me in that realm, I've always sort of accepted it as like it just wasn't what I really wanted to do with my life. Sure. I mean... If you if if you like to draw houses and you don't 
want to be an architect, there's nothing wrong with that. You can do something for a while and not commit your life to it. How did you stumble across music as your particular sort of your calling? I can't remember a time in my life where music wasn't important to me. To my earliest memories. My mom listened to, she had a small record collection. Um, we moved a lot. And the records and the record collection were always the last thing to leave the house and the first thing to get set up. And on the occasion that I move these days, it's, that's the same for me. I spent a lot of time listening to her music, listening to her records, and looking at the, the covers and just seeing the pictures of people you know, performing and just the pictures of them posing and all that. And I was, I was fascinated, you know. I thought it was absolute magic. Only one person really made sure to tell me that I was good at it at every opportunity that he had. And that's my Uncle Tim. He bought me a Les Paul when I was in high school from a drug dealer. It was probably hot. Um, and, you know, that thing eventually got pawned and, uh, when I was away. So karma, right? Well, hum humbucker, humbucking pickups there are pretty hot, aren't they? Uh, a little, little guitar humor there for the, for the people in the back. <laughs> yuck, yuck. <laughs> And now a word from this episode's sponsor. Do you like music? Do you have a short attention span? Then this is the deal for you. It's the number two record by Mike Squires. With 10 plus songs in under four and a half minutes in as many musical genres, number two record is perfect for any occasion, especially if you've got to be someplace else really soon. Listen to what these totally real people had to say about number two record by Mike Squires. It has a lot of songs and they are all really short. I bought a copy of number two record and it's the perfect length for reheating leftovers for dinner. This just might be the most important musical release in the history of music. Also, Mike didn't actually sponsor this episode, but the number two record by Mike Squires is 100% real and pretty fun to listen to. Check the podcast episode notes for how to contact Mike directly to get your own copy via digital download or vinyl flexi disc. Do it right now. If you Cancelletto due record by Mike Squires. Going back to uh, Peter Hook coming off of Ugly Kid Joe, where, you know, it's a much different style of music, number one. You're playing a different instrument. You're playing guitar and Ugly Kid Joe. And you got the special spot of playing bass with Peter Hook, who is a bass player. That's got to be very sort of odd, uh, just sort of playing these sort of iconic bass parts for the guy who came up with them. Um, but I also just mentioned the vibe is a little bit different. You said, you know, there was the group hug for Ugly Kid Joe. What was, what was the pre-show sort of ritual for Peter Hook? <laughs> the Peter Hook gig came along quickly 
it was abrupt. I thought that I was going to be doing something else. Quite how it happened. So I came home from one of the breaks because we did three segments of the Ugly Kid Joe tour. On the second segment when I was home, I flew to Seattle and borrowed a bass and amp from my friend Jeff and drove uh, to William Goldsmith's house and I auditioned for Sunny Day Real Estate. And uh, in that audition, I, I played 16 songs. I was I was pretty well prepared. I'd learned the songs on tour in the bus lounge. And I did a lot of hard work. I, th- I thought for sure no one could do a better job than I did. I was very confident. And it was a great lesson for me because I didn't get that gig. I mean, I saw them last week and they were fucking great. And the guy, Chris, that got the gig lives in Seattle and he could rehearse with them a lot. And he's a great bass player and super sweet dude, easy to be around. I just didn't get the gig. And it was like, oh, wow, that sucks. But the day I got the call, hey, we're going with this dude. Sorry, Charlie. I got the call that I got the Peter Hood gig. It was a very pendular, you know, day for me. And I try to not put too much... I put exactly what value some I feel like something deserves. Like, I put the energy out there. I want to tour. I want to do it. I can do it. I'm capable. I like people. I'm not a miserable person. I can travel with you, and we can have some laughs. I know how to read. I'm not a creep. Helpful. You also seem like the kind of guy who's actually going to just show up and do what you need to do. You do put in the work. It does does strike me that there is not a lack of work ethic. That gig came to get, like, no one calls me saying, hey, we're a real big fan of yours. Or, you know, you know what we need in this band right now? We need Mike Squire. It just doesn't happen. He's got that sound. Every, Every band that I've been in, I've... I have to reach. I mean, it happened with William and Sunny Day. I reached out and I was like, "Hey, what about me? I can do that, and and it'll it'll be great. I can totally do it. Let me do it." I those guys didn't reach out to me, and neither did Peter Hook. And they auditioned, you know, half a dozen people, and then uh, they talked to uh, my friend Scott Marceau, who is uh, works for Yamaha. He's a Yamaha, my Yamaha rep. But we, I mean. We talk a lot more just as friends than we do about Yamaha stuff. He recommended me. He was like, this is your guy. He can do it. Because it was pretty short note. I had to learn 43 songs in two weeks. And whoever got the gig was going to have to do that. So he recommended me for the gig. I made a video audition. And that was that. I want to talk a little bit about your work ethic because that kind of something that also strikes me too um and probably is the difference between you and i i think i have a uh, a strong work ethic but it's expressed in weird ways i think yours is probably much more intelligent uh one of the things when i was talking to craig wedron that we kind of talked a lot about is the idea of you can try and explore things but you do have to try and there's more than just trying you have to kind of work at it and gradually improve and you're somebody who is clearly very skilled just to even number one remember uh 43 songs in two weeks uh, let alone play them well that's i think says something about you curious i mean what drives you sort of to do all sort of the 
the tedious work to make yourself a competent sort of uh, workhorse of a, of, a, of a player? Well, I've been doing it for a long time, and I don't know that my technical ability has gotten better. It might. I've been playing a long time, and I still suck. I mean, I suck worse because of some <laughs> physical deficits, but even before that, I mean, I was, like, competent at best. I had my my comfort areas, but for the most part, no. I was not a diverse and skilled player. I wouldn't be able to go from Ugly Kid Joe to Peter Hook, so. Okay, so why am I interrupting here? Well, because I think, per usual, I think that there is a lot here that can be applied to a lot of areas of life. There seems to be a common theme in Mike's life of he kind of knows what he, what he wants to do, but there's also a lot of swerves and unexpected changes, and sometimes they lead pretty cool places, and I think being ready and able to sort of work with whatever gets thrown your way is a valuable skill. Kind of like what he does with uh, his podcast, Catrice. It's actually more than a podcast. There's also a bunch of performance videos, which are pretty cool. It's something he just sort of started on a whim, and it's kind of taken off. Well, I've kind of been doing just that for four years with, you know, with couch riffs. Even over four years, a little bit. I would learn something, and I would have a long list. It's, the whole process of doing the couch riff stuff has evolved. And in that evolution... I figured out how to do it. And someone told me this a long time ago, and it never made sense. Also, I played in a live karaoke band for a long time, and I had to do this same thing with that. We had a 500-song set list. I mean, we didn't play 500 songs every night, but the book was 500 songs. Really, 40 songs get picked. Fucking Wanted Dead or Alive and etc. You know, Living on a Prayer, whatever the Journey songs are, whatever the... Katy Perry songs are, this is what you do at live karaoke. Listen. You have to listen to the songs and listen to them in ways that you have never listened to them before. Listen to them in ways where you feel like you're in the song and do it just (laughs) unrelentingly. You know, I have my wife, like, she after a while, didn't want to get in the car with me or just we'd get in the car and she'd be like, can I pick the music? Because it was just always this, I have this playlist that's like on deck, it's called On Deck. And it's the songs that I'm learning for Outshift. And I just listen to those songs over and over and over. Sometimes it's six songs, sometimes it's 15 songs, depending on how many projects I'm building at a given time. I just pound it into my head. And it's kind of like the pre-production to going in the studio. When I sit down to actually learn the song, I already know it. And so how it goes is I sit down to do a song. I learn it for probably 10 or 15 minutes. And I record it. It's almost always the first take. It would be really rare and it would be probably some sort of camera flub or, you know, ah, shit, I didn't, I didn't record the video while I was doing that take somehow. It's it's first three takes, always. Basically, the way I, I met Mike is very odd. Actually, his, uh, not Couch Riffs, but his other podcast, Golden Shower for His, 
his co-host, a guy named Jamie, just reached out to me randomly. He slipped into my DMs on, on Twitter and just said, hey, seems like you like music. You should check out our podcast. And I was like, okay, but little did he know that I would actually listen to it and try to engage him on some creepy level. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I never, I don't know. I never wanted a podcast for one. Let me say that. I didn't really, I actually ha hate most podcasts. I don't know why I ever listened to Golden Shower Hits, but I did. So here we are. Well, we're pretty awesome. And we, the door is open for you to poke at us. So I, th I think you like that. <laughs> So, I never wanted a podcast, but I found myself unemployed for this a stretch of time. And I started playing guitar same way. I would learn something and play along to the song. And then I started taking whatever part I was playing out. And then I was like, oh, maybe I'll have someone come sit on my couch with me. And then I did that a couple times. And then I thought, what if I did this sort of like... Um, who are those assholes, Wayne and Garth? Well, what if it was sort of like a Wayne's World uh, interview and rock off on the couch, you know? And so that's how it started. I didn't. I wanted to do ten minute episodes, YouTube, and that's it. It would be like a portion of the song, and it would fade out, and then we would have a conversation. The whole that was the whole format. There was like a little sound, like a video bite at the beginning, something sharp and funny, and then boom into the song, big pop on the screen, couch riffs, and then the conversation after ten minutes. That's what I, that was my deal. I could keep people's attention for that long, right? Uh, wrong. I'm kind of the same way. I mean, my original plan with this particular podcast was like. I'm going to be super, super lazy and just do this. The episodes are going to be like 10, 15 minutes. And that's, I want to put minimal, but I can't just let things be. And it sounds like that kind of happened to you too, where it's like, oh, I get the opportunity to talk to this person. I think I'm going to talk to them for a little bit longer and the conversation goes longer. And then it's been pretty amazing. I've actually enjoyed to do it. And, you know, I've learned a lot of stuff along the way. You start this thing as sort of like, eh, I'm just going to do this. I'm bored. I'm going to do this. This might be kind of interesting. Some people might like it. But then it actually gets some traction. People seem to like it. When it, when I first started doing it, my friend John Roderick was a guest. And he was like, you're doing, what you're doing is, is cool and pretty interesting. And you're going to get burned out at some point. No matter what you do, keep keep going and keep doing it and something cool is going to happen. And I think about that a lot because I feel burned out, you know, pretty regularly, or I feel the, the idea of being burned out coming on. And I'm just like, I fight it off. I'm like, you're not burned out. You've, you're fine. Go be a man. You, you started playing in sort of bands that, kind of had some got some traction in the 90s uh like you said you took some time off i'm just wondering if you ever experienced that burnout with music and why you you stepped why you stepped away when you did the struggle of playing music touring you know writing making records and trying to earn a living and and have a stable 
life, a, nor a life that resembles any sort of normalcy, that's a, I don't know, that's a real struggle. Um, you have to, you have to be in a real mindset for that because there is a lot of expectation and expectation is breeds disappointment. And there's, so because of that expectation, you end up being disappointed. Um, you know, I've had a fucking half dozen record deals and every one of them, it's like, well, here we go. We're making a $250,000 music video. I, there's probably money way better spent, but here we go, you know. And then it's disappointing because you're like, well, not a good video. Still costs the same amount of money, and now nobody's playing it. And th those sorts of things just become commonplace to musicians. Not that much anymore because that part, that sort of big machine doesn't exist or operate on the same level. The cogs aren't turning like that. Um, you know, the machine has much smaller gears now. Um, but yeah, I, I stopped playing music, moved to Portland and worked at Stumptown Coffee for a couple years before going back to Seattle and diving back in. And I, I actually, I did that a couple times. I, you know, yeah. Playing music, playing music is frustrating. Why do you keep, what kept you coming back? Well, there are a lot of lessons to be learned, you know, playing, having expectation and being disappointed. Like that's not the problem of music. That's the problem of me. You know, no one is, no one is setting me up with these expectations, you know, and no one is making me have expectations or be disappointed. Those are me problems. So that's something I can work on. So every time I step back in, I'm like, I'm going to do better this time. I'm going to, I'm going to be really good at this. And, um, every time it's, it's a little easier, you know, it's a little bit easier every time. So, I don't know, does that answer the question? Okay, here I am, again, to inter interject some opinion that you can take or leave. But anyway, this is my take. Life is going to be full of a lot of complications, suffering, so forth. But it's also full of a lot of cool things. And I think just sort of being able to accept some of these challenges in life will do nothing but help your overall mental health regardless of the vibe and maybe just that might lead you some pretty interesting places you didn't expect you know we were making fun of the good vibes only signs I was just like you know, what a crock of shit. Even, even the the greatest guru has to fight off, you know, bad vibes in their inside themselves. You know, like you're, we're human. Just embrace it, acknowledge it, and then figure, you know, negotiate with it. Yeah, all vibes only. The thing is, you know, no one wants to 
No one wants to have darkness rattling around in their head. And, you know, I'm a person that if I just leave my, leave myself alone with my thoughts and I'm not, and I don't stay focused, I can get dark, real dark, real fast. What's your, what's your, what's your biggest fear? What is my biggest fear? I mean, I think I've already expressed it. I just don't want to, I don't want to die regretting not doing what I was supposed to do. Well, I'll certainly say that I think there is a lot of different things that have gone on in your life that sort of indicate that you, you are fine not taking sort of the, the normal path. That's I right. know that you um, have had a wide variety of different jobs and careers and some of that I'm sure is just out of necessity. You got to pay the bills. But but uh, also, too, I mean, it's not like it's not like well, let me just switch gears, actually. Let's talk about your jobs. I've had a lot of jobs. You think you think you've had more than me? Probably. I mean, it's a, you said you for 20 years you were making movies. So I've never had a job for 20 years. I had 10 jobs for 20 in 20 years. So. I've had 10 jobs in two years. So let's let's compare real fast. Fire them off. First job. When I was in the seventh grade, I had three jobs at once. I worked at Long John Silver's. In the seventh grade? That's illegal. No, I was uh, I was in high school. It was my first real job. Uh, I was a grave digger. I worked at a mental institution. I had a paper route. My mom had a vitamin store. I worked there. There was like an old folks home apartment complex. Ever been a janitor? Yes. Garbage man? No. A number of people that lived in this community, they would pay me to do odd jobs. So I'd go grocery shop and come back. I worked in a uh, school cafeteria. Change the light bulbs in their house or whatever, and they would pay me, you know, we would negotiate a wage. It's very sweet and thoughtful in, in many ways. It's kind of also a hustle, hustling old people. First job out of the Marine Corps, I was a grave digger. I got fired from that job, and then I took a construction job that summer I tried to go did I go back to the cemetery might have gone back to the cemetery and then quit grave digging is a pretty good one I mean that's an exciting one probably the most most unusual sort of conversation starter job that I've had is I did work at a photo map booth I used to get calls from obscene phone callers all the time you're sitting alone in a little booth in a parking lot you feel very sort of vulnerable Sure, like, are they like, are they at a phone booth looking at me right now? What the fuck? I I did have a night job as a I was a night janitor at an outpatient hospital, and uh, that job lasted less than two weeks. During the second week, I walked into this one doctor's office, and in his in the bathroom that you know he cleaned everything, and so you go in to clean the bathroom and. It looked like, and I'm not exaggerating, this is, this is a non-exaggeration. It looked like someone opened the bathroom door, backed their ass up to the door, and just shit in the general direction of And I looked at it and I was like, fuck it, I quit. I just left my little push cart there and I walked out of the hospital. I didn't even, didn't say anything to the foreman. I just left. You fucking asshole. Fucking assholes. How often, like, say, like, if you're on stage, how often do you think about that moment? 
does that ever strike you? Um, and do you use that as a motivator to um, do things you'd much rather be doing? That moment in my life was a line in the sand. And, you know, we all fall short of our own rules, but that's been kind of a, th a thing that I've, I've tried to stand by. You know, there, all the time we're faced with decisions like that, that are uncomfortable or that we aren't into. Or just they don't bring us joy. They don't make us happy. But you have to make a decision anyway because we're fucking grown-ups and we have responsibilities and all the other stupid bullshit that is not filling you with light. And so I ask myself those questions all the time. Like, does this make me happy? Does this bring me joy? Does this make my life better? Okay, no. Do I have to... Does it serve a greater cause? Yes. Okay. Then am I willing to do it? And for how long? It, how how will I change the situation so that I can fulfill the same responsibilities but do it in a way that doesn't put fucking bad vibes, bad vibes only in my life? <laughs> I, I I guess is, uh, let me rephrase it and let me know if I'm put, just putting words in your mouth, which I certainly am capable of doing. But it sounds like in some ways you're saying kind of like, you know, Suffering is sort of an accepted part of life. There's a certain amount of suffering that we all go through that we should anticipate and expect. But, you know, you can use it as sort of a sort of a mark, a barrier in your life, a marker, an indicator, a sort of a, a of what you're willing to do in pursuit. But I think in, in terms of pursuing a better life, you do have to accept the fact that there's going to be some shitty things involved with whatever it is that you want to do. You have to be willing to suffer. If you're not willing to suffer, then then you're not living. I mean, the best road trips in the world, your car breaks down, you run out of gas, you whatever. Uh, you know, the best just the best anything is flawed. And you, you know, you you don't ever have great great memories or great stories about things that go exactly according to plan and there was nothing exciting about it because everything was ex perfectly expected. Like, that's what you want from from a flight. You know, not from life. You want, you know, you want your pilot to be like, we're going to land on time, everything's fucking... Clear skies, no turbulence, and buckle in and have a great flight. That's that. Life, fuck that. I don't want that. It sort of just reminds me of, of two things. Number one, very jealous of some of your experiences because, you know, whether or not you're a household name, I mean, just sort of the, the, the breadth of sort of your experiences that you've had and the, the, the opportunities you've had and places to be. The other thing is the closest that I ever came for, for it is I was in a band many years ago and, and we opened for a then sort of just exploding Green Day. And we went up playing at a fairly large hall. Um, I don't know why we were paired with the asked to open for them because we were a very different style. But I mean, you know, my musical taste, it's much more sort of like sure. post-punk, angular, sort of dark, weird. Like it's not it's not 
Green Day. Green Day is great for what they do, but that's not what we were doing. And and uh, like and literally when we were playing between songs, I mean there wasn't even booing or even like a single clap. It was just dead silence. Crickets. Yeah, no, that's the worst. <laughs> Crickets. Uh, and that's probably my most vivid playing. It was first the sort of like, holy fuck, we're playing in front of like three, four thousand people. This is like awesome and they are completely not responding at all like not even negatively just like looking at their watches waiting for the next band to come on right definitely the largest show probably before that was below that is probably like maybe like 1500 people playing the crocodile cafe in in seattle um and that's about it but mostly averaging around 20 to 30 people in some crappy bar someplace but um, so I definitely, um, thank you for sharing. Sure. Um, so I want to thank you for your time. Oh yeah. It means a lot to me. So I really appreciate that. You have all of my respect and, de- and dare I say love. Love is not a wimpy thing. Love is a, is a strong thing. Love, love is a, is a universally pansexual strong thing. It is the strongest thing. Not to change the subject because I'm uncomfortable. Take it easy and be well. And thank you again for everything. I really appreciate it. And even though it makes even though it makes me uncomfortable to say I love you, I love you too, Rudy. I'm not uncomfortable saying it. I I'm saying it to more people more more often than ever now, and I think it's important to do. Thanks for listening. New episodes of the R3 podcast most Sundays. See the episode description for notes and where to find more online.